following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. So oh. 
was a battle royal. It was a battle between Baal, the god of fire, the god of lightning and prosperity, and the god of heaven. The players, first Elijah, the prophet of God, and Ahab, the king of Israel. It is the story of Mount Carmel. I've been on Mount Carmel. It's a large flat area, high elevation, looking out over the Mediterranean Ocean. It was called by Elijah. Elijah in his spirit was so troubled by what he saw in the wickedness of his land that he could not tolerate it another moment. This was to be God's people, and Ahab was leading them astray. And righteous anger rose up in such measure in the heart of Ahab and the heart of Elijah that they hated one another with a righteous hatred on the part of Elijah. So Elijah prayed. He prayed, and he prayed, and he stood by faith. And James in the New Testament tells us that Elijah was a man like we are of like passions. But he knew how to touch the throne of God. And finally, he gets the word of God, and he goes in obedience to Ahab coming seemingly out of nowhere, totally unexpected, walking into the throne room of Ahab. Everyone is shocked. First, they have not seen a true prophet of God for many years because most of them had been executed by Jezebel. But now comes a man who knows how to pray and knows how to touch the throne of God. And he announces there will be no dew or rain for the next few years, except at my word. Three and a half years later, he comes and meets Ahab. The land is devastated. People are dying of starvation. The famine is intense. And now the battle is set up on Mount Carmel. Yesterday we called this Come to Mount Carmel because that's where the battle is going to rage. That's where the contest will be held between Baal, Baal, and the God of heaven. The God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, that's good. But none of the people would stand up and speak a word of support for the God of heaven. They remained silent. Finally, time for the evening sacrifice. 
He calls the people close. All of the frenzy is over. All of the shouting and dancing is silenced. The altar is restored. The sacrifice is placed. The drenching water comes so that there's no longer any question about trickery. And the fire of God falls. The fire of God falls. And the people fall down on their face, literally prostrate before the Lord, and they say, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And you would think that now a great revival would be starting. But no revival started. They did not say, The Lord, He is God. We will serve Him. All they were willing to acknowledge is that the Lord was God. But they had their own gods and their own agendas. They were not willing to be turned from their wickedness. And that next morning we find Elijah running for his life. And he knew where to run. He ran to the mountain of God. Now I call this Mount Carmel 1. But there is another place of great contest in the scripture. There is a Mount Carmel 2. Only this time it's not just the children of Israel who have been summoned to come and decide who is God. This time the whole universe is summoned. This time the peoples of the nations are summoned. We find the story in Luke, the 23rd chapter. Let me read a portion of this story for you of this great contest. I'll begin with verse 18. With one voice they cried out, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! Now on this Mount Carmel, the people are no longer neutral. The leaders of Israel are siding with Baal. They are siding with their prosperity under the Romans. You see, the priesthood at this time was purchased from the Roman government. This time they had their comfortable little place carved out, and they did not want this man Jesus to come and disturb their comfortable place. Any time Jesus comes, he disturbs our comfortable places. And that was true here. 
Pilate, the representative of Rome, speaks again. For the third time, he spoke to them, verse 22, Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. So he is not a criminal. He has done nothing wrong. And then Pilate veers off course. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. In other words, he's going to have him flogged. Men die under that flogging. It is excruciatingly painful. The back would be torn to shreds. The ribs would be broken with the power of the lash, with little bits of bone and metal connected to that lash, cutting and ripping the muscles, bleeding, With loud shouts, they demanded that he be crucified. And so Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. So the murder goes free. The innocent and sinless one is to die. Does that break your heart? This is the great contest of the universe. The contest of the ages between the Christ and the devil. Verse 26, as they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him, and made him carry it behind Jesus. See, Jesus had been so badly beaten, and the loss of blood weakened he could not carry that heavy cross i suspect that that simon from cyrene considered himself to be hard put upon to carry that cross shamed to carry that cross but i trust in time he saw the immense honor that was shown him that he could carry the cross of Jesus Christ. Verse 27, this is Luke 23, verse 27, a large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned, that is in his weakened condition. His head is bleeding from the crown of thorns they have beat into his skull. He is dripping in the spittle of the wicked men. He has been punched and beaten, bloody. Does not even look like a man. 
But he speaks to the daughters of Jerusalem and says, Do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Obviously, he's referring first to Titus, who will come in A.D. 70 and will burn Jerusalem and murder more than a million Jewish people, murdering the babies and the children, ripping open the pregnant women, letting them bleed to death, killing the men, destroying Herod's temple. And then he has reference in verse 30 to the final day of accounting the judgment of the living God of heaven upon the earth for its wickedness. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. Hosea 10, 8. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? I want to tell you, today, the tree is dry. And men are doing incredibly cruel and wicked things all over the earth. Now verse 32. Two other men, both criminals. I want you to note what Dr. Luke is telling us. Jesus was not a criminal. These two men were criminals. They deserved to die. But Jesus, he did not deserve to die. These criminals were led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. I have stood on the place called the skull. And I have worshipped Jesus from that place. I have wept in that place. Because it was my sin also. That caused Jesus to die. As I stood weeping at that place, remembering the events of the past, as though I had actually been present for that crucifixion, my heart was utterly broken. As I recognized all the wicked things that I have said and done through my life, And thanking Jesus 
that he has forgiven me and removed those sins and made me righteous before him. He was stripped naked. He was hung on that cross to die for my sin and for yours. People stood there that day watching. The rulers of the Jewish people sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers all came up and they also mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Jesus was not a martyr. Jesus could have chosen not to die. He offered himself as a sacrificial lamb. He did not become sin. He rather bore our sin as a sacrificial lamb before the Almighty God to bridge between heaven and earth, to open a way of escape that we would not be cast into the fires of hell. Do you understand? There are only two destinations. There are only two that we can choose to serve. We do not choose to serve anyone but Jesus or the devil. You don't have any neutral ground. Now, the smorgasbord of worldliness, entertainment, wickedness, exhaustion from trying to earn the almighty dollar, all of these things, all of these interests come and dance before our eyes and say, I'm important, I'm important, pay attention to me. No, the only thing to pay attention to is what happened at that second Mount Carmel where Jesus Christ was crucified and lifted up he was not a criminal he was not a martyr he was a sacrificial offering a lamb offered sinless before an almighty God And the fires of hell flame brightly. They are real flames. They are not imaginary flames. People stood and they watched Jesus being crucified. They will one day stand and watch as they are judged before Almighty God. You will stand before Almighty God. And you will be judged for what you have done and you will either enter in by the blood of Jesus Christ, having been made holy, having been made righteous, or the angels will bind you hand and foot 
and they will cast you into the fires of hell, and you will be conscious as you are right now. You will be understanding what's happening to you. You will have faced your life. You will have faced what you have done. It will flash before your eyes in a moment, and you will understand that you fully deserve the fires of hell, and you will be cast in for eternal torment. There will be no escape. Is this where you desire to go? Oh, no, Pastor. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. As you take your drugs, as you get drunk on your alcohol, as you climb into the bed of fornication or into the internet of pornography, as you lie, as you blame others, as you cheat. Oh, no, I don't have any bitter in my heart. I'm, I'm good to go. Totally unable to recognize your sin. But on that great day of judgment, your sin will stare you in the face. And you will have no excuse before the Almighty God for your behavior and your actions. For now it is not you who will judge whether you are righteous or a sinner. It is Jesus Christ who will have all judgment and all power to determine your eternal future. What is your future destined to be? Do you protest your innocence? Don't you fear God? Don't you understand the day of judgment is coming like a swift train upon you? Every day it comes closer. Do you not understand that you must face the record of what you have done? And if you have claimed that Jesus has forgiven you and yet you continue to walk in your wickedness, do you not understand you will face the judgment of God and you will be cast into that fire of hell? Do you not understand this? Have you been so lied to and so comforted by false teachers that you don't understand that without holiness no man will see the Lord? One of the criminals who's hung on that cross, bleeding and dying, hurls insults at Jesus, saying, Aren't you the Christ, the Messiah? Save yourself and us too. In other words, we're all in this together. We're all criminals together. No, Jesus was not a criminal. He was the sinless, perfect Lamb of God offered for our sin. The other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. This man has done nothing wrong. And he turns to head toward Jesus. 
And he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answers him, I tell you the truth today. You will be with me in paradise. Now, there's a lot of contention about what I just read because in the NIV and the King James Version and most Bibles translate this, I tell you the truth, comma, today you will be with me in paradise. Was the man in paradise with Jesus that day? No, he wasn't. How do I know? Because when they came to the man, he was still alive and they broke his legs. And they took him to a place, a trash dump outside of Jerusalem and dumped him there, probably still alive. Now there is one possibility that they left him on the cross with his legs broken so he could not push himself up to get a gasping breath of oxygen. And he may have died that day by asphyxiation. In that case, the King James Version and the NIV are correct. I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. But frankly, we don't know, and it doesn't really matter, does it? What matters is that this criminal cried out to Jesus and Jesus answered him and said, yes, you will be with me in paradise. I suspect that this man is going to be very honored in the kingdom of heaven because he is a trophy having been stolen from the devil's camp at the very last moment. Now it was now about the sixth hour and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. The sixth hour in that time would have been about noon and it was dark, the sun was hidden. It turned as dark as night because it was night. The Son of God was on the cross he was dying. He had been tortured. He was dying on that cross. And the sun could not bear to look on its creator. What a sad and yet wonderful place where the Son of God himself, the fire that fell on the altar of God for Ahab, the fire of God is now on the earth. And he's been crucified. And the sun stopped shining. And at the time of the sacrifice, the great curtain in the temple between the holy and the most holy, we're told, represented the body of Jesus Christ. 
That curtain was torn from top to bottom, and nobody saw the hands that did it. Historians tell us that it was about 12 inches thick, a huge curtain. And Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion who was who was there, who was in charge of the crucifixion, began to praise God and say, Surely this was a righteous man. We have the testimony of a pagan man. After watching Jesus die, that he was a righteous man. Everyone began to weep and mourn. and walk away. End of the story, right? Wrong. It's the beginning of the story. There were women from Galilee who had followed Jesus, who had supported him in his three and a half years of ministry. They just stood at a distance watching all of these things, including Mary of Magdala, the prostitute who was cleansed and made whole. Now, there was a very wealthy man by the name of Joseph, a member of the council, a righteous man, we're told in Scripture. He had not consented to the Sanhedrin voting to execute Jesus. He was earnestly waiting for the kingdom of God. He went to Pilate at great personal risk and asked for the body of Jesus. He took it down, he wrapped it in a linen cloth, and he placed it in a tomb cut out in the rock. I stood in that tomb by myself. Again, tears flowing down my face as I began to shout out loud, He is risen. The tomb is empty. There's the stone where they laid him out to wrap his body in the aloe and the myrrh. There is the cut-out niche where they place the body. There's no stone there today. I was able to enter by myself. Stood there weeping and rejoicing. The great victory had been won. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. They didn't know that Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea had already brought 
a hundred pounds of the spice to wrap his body in. It was already finished. They brought the spices at great personal expense. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And they entered it, but his body was not there, the body of the Lord Jesus. They were wondering about this. Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men to be crucified and on the third day to be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all of the others. It was Mary of Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and others with them who told this to the apostles, but they didn't believe them. Their words seemed like utter nonsense to them. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen laying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself, what's happening? What is happening? The fire of life has entered back into the body of Jesus Christ. And he has been resurrected. The two from Emmaus hurry back and tell the apostles, We saw Jesus. He sat with us. He broke the bread and then he disappeared. They're talking about this, and suddenly Jesus is among them, and he says, Peace be with you. They're startled. They're frightened. They think he's a ghost. But he says, Look at my hands and my feet. Touch me. He asked them for something to eat, and he ate something. And he opened their minds so they could understand the Scripture. And he told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name. And all nations beginning at Jerusalem, you are my witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Repentance and the removal of sins is to be preached in the name of Jesus. The contest, Jesus, the risen Lord. And Paul writes to the church at Ephesus in chapter 2, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, 
the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. And it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Some of you today... listening to this broadcast you are dead in your transgressions and in your sins you may claim to be a follower of Jesus but you still walk in the wickedness of your heart you still get drunk you still get stoned you still use the crack You still dive into lying and cheating and stealing. You still dive into sexual immorality. You're dead. I come to you preaching Jesus Christ today because through him you can be made alive. You can leave your sin today. You must make a decision today, for I cannot guarantee you tomorrow. Today is the day of your salvation. Your church will not save you. Your beliefs about your sin is going to be removed when you die. None of this will save you. Your lust for gambling and drinking your lust for the entertainment of this world. You are dead in your transgressions and sins, and some of you listening to this broadcast, you know very well what I'm speaking about. You know you're dead. I can't speak to the self-righteous. I did not come to speak to the self-righteous, but to the sinners today to men and women who know the wickedness of your own heart and you know you are dead in your transgressions and in your sins. And I am saying to you, are you finally ready to say enough? I need Jesus. I don't want to go to hell. I know there is an everlasting fire waiting for me. I know my name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. I know I am, if I die today, going to hell. Again, hell is a real place. The punishment is real and the fire is real. The suffering will be beyond anything we can imagine. Are you really willing to go to hell 
for that next drink or that next woman or man that you want to sin with? Are you really willing to go to hell for a few dollars that you will cheat a man out of? Do you really want to throw your life away? Or are you willing to be finished today with your sin? Are you willing to repent and turn aside from this wickedness and let Jesus Christ make you alive? Let me read this for you. This is in chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, in verse 1, I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I am calling you today in the name of Jesus Christ to forsake your sin and to come and follow Jesus Christ. Verse 17, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. I am saying, please, do not harden your heart today against this message the whole universe put their eyes on this second Mount Carmel and God won again. But this time he didn't just win. He opened an avenue of escape for you. And you can say today, yes, Jesus is God. I believe in Jesus It's not enough. Some of you have lost all sensitivity to righteousness. You have given yourself over to sensuality. Every kind of impurities in your life. And there's a continual lust in your heart for wickedness. But if you will come to know Jesus Christ... You will put off that old way, that old self, which is corrupted by your wicked desires. Will you leave your sin and repent for your wickedness? that you could become alive in Jesus Christ and enter into a life beyond anything you can think or imagine. Are you willing to leave your sin today? You can make that decision. You don't need more information. I've given you today more information than you need. 
He is the sinless Son of God. He died on Calvary. He died for your sin. Will you receive him today? Will you repent of your sin? Will you acknowledge your guilt? Will you choose to ask Jesus to forgive you and he will remove all of your sin? He will make you into a new creature. He will make you into a new man. First Corinthians, the sixth chapter, verse 9. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You see, you were you were bought at a price. Will you come out and be separate? Will you decide now to leave your sin and come to Jesus and escape the fires of hell and enter into the peace and glory of Jesus Christ? Second Corinthians, the fifth chapter, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. I am imploring you today on behalf of Jesus Christ, leave your sin and come and know Jesus Christ. What should you do? Get down on your face and identify to Jesus every sin you know and ask if he will forgive you and cut that sin off by the blood of Jesus Christ. Not by resolution, but by surrender to Jesus and let him give you a new birth and make of you a new man, a new woman, wash you and cleanse you. But you're going to have to get on your face and weep before the God of heaven, for he holds your life in his hands, and the judgment is coming on your life, either heaven or hell. Will you choose heaven today? Almighty God, I plead your blood for every sinner who has listened to this broadcast. I plead that they will turn from their sin now by your mighty power and that you will meet them and wash and cleanse them and restore them to righteousness, making of them a new man and a new woman, a new start. Lord, please. I know you're willing. Do it now. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 
You've been listening to Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. This is Pilgrim's Progress. I would love to hear from you. Write to me, please, at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I've been very concerned. This week I have only received one letter. I'm crying out to God for you. Will you respond? Let me know how you stand with Jesus. And let me know that you stand with me in this work of the gospel. The National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can donate online. Just click the donate button. It's time to leave your sin and be born from above. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. To keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. With Jesus Christ.